The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, April 28th, 2017 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. You know, the Supreme Court gets covered as an angry, dysfunctional knife fight of jurisprudence, but they actually agree on a lot. This week, they settled the case of Lewis v. Clark. How about that? Lewis v. Clark. Lewis, the Lewis is, got in a car crash with Clark, and they were like, hey, I'm Lewis. You're Clark. That's so funny. Let's not argue. No, that is not what happened. The Lewises, a couple, said, can I get your insurance? And Clark said, nope, I don't have to, because I work for the Mohegan Sun Casino. And since they're a Native American tribe via casino owners, you can't sue me. Well, let me tell you how crazy our system is with these unelected judges, accountable to nobody, who don't understand common sense. It is not crazy at all. The court decided 9-0. That was a terrible argument, Mr. Clark. Everyone agreed on it. And there was another case where Democratic and Republican appointed justices came together. There is audio of this. It was argued a couple days ago. The audio posted today. It's Maslinak versus the U.S. Now, the government was trying to deport a woman for lying on her refugee forms. But the forms were, shall we say, kind of broad. And Chief Justice Roberts took note. Some time ago, outside the statute of limitations, I drove 60 miles an hour in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear I was, I was not arrested. <laughs> now, you say that if I answer that question no... 20 years after I was naturalized as a citizen, you can knock on my door and say, guess what? You're not an American citizen after all. Well, right. The answer by the government's lawyer was, uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Then Justice Sotomayor took issue with another part of the form. Let me give you another example. One of the requirements is that you list any nickname that you've ever had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. When I was a child... Not me, but some imagined applicant. Um, I was very slight of built. I wasn't. Um, And then Justice Sotomayor continued. Let's say they called me slim, and I didn't disclose that on my form. Could I be deported years later? Lawyer, answer, yes. Sotomayor, okay, what if they called me beanpole? Answer, yes. Stinky Pete, yes. Sweaty Betty, Uh Uh-huh. The Fonz? Sure. The Finns? Again. Ginzy Binzy? That's true. Zappa Zappa? That would also qualify. Okay. What if I walked past a construction site one time and the workers bestowed nicknames on me? What then? Lawyer. Well, technically under the law. Then Justice Alito chimes in. What if they called me Sweet Cheeks? Lawyer. Yes. Sugar Bum? Uh Uh-huh. Cuddle Bunch? Yeah. Honey Bear? Sure. Stud Muffin? Deported. Sugar Bunch? Uh, Didn't you say that? No, I said Sugar Bum and Cuddle Bunch. Up, Sugar Bunch. Yeah, that could go. Then Justice Thomas gets in on it. What if uh, I called myself Long Dong? And then Justice Ginsburg interrupts. Notorious RBG? Lawyer. Yes. Justice Alito. Again. Notorious Sammy I? Justice Ginsburg. That really doesn't work. Justice Kagan and Justice Breyer chime in. Yeah, that totally doesn't make sense. Justice Alito, all right. Justice Sotomayor, again. What about if it's a nickname that you don't know about? Lawyer, yeah, you could be deported. Chief Justice Roberts, wait, are you saying there's no greater punishment for a nickname that you give yourself? Lawyer, the statute as written does not allow for that. Justices all murmur, terrible. How can you let someone who gave himself a nickname stay in this country? That's so, so wrong. Justice Roberts grabs gavel. Case dismissed. 
Justice Kagan. You nailed it, little JG. Justice Alito. And Sammy All Height concurs. All other justices glare. Justice Ginsburg. Give it up, Sam. Sammy All Height. It's just not happening. See, and you thought audio in the courtroom would get out of hand. On the show today, Kim Jong-un. Not irrational. In fact, I'm going to name him Cuddle Bunch. But first, the quite hilarious and genetically similar Lucas brothers are here. They're victims of the war on drugs, and they've turned it into, well, generations of injustice in their family, but also a fun Netflix comedy special. People don't know how to react when they see twins. No. They, get, they go crazy. Like we were in the supermarket looking for some jello. Yep. <laughs> and we were just about to pick it out. And then some dude came out of nowhere. And he was like, yo, you guys have a stick of double mint gum? <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said. Now, now, I know that sounds like an innocent question to most people. <laughs> but to twins, it's mad disrespect. Absolutely. <laughs> So we were about to check this nigga. <laughs> and I think that he saw that we were angry, so yeah. he tried to like calm the situation down. Yeah. He was like, yo, I'm, I'm sorry if I offended you guys. It's just in the commercials, twins always have gum. In those Doberman gum commercials, they have gum. So I figured you two guys had a stick. Like, That's shitty logic. Yeah. <laughs> and why is this dude taking commercials so seriously? <laughs> but they do that with everything. You know what I mean? Like, they have to go up to quirky white women and ask for progressive insurance. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's right. You should try another one. Let's try, try it. Right. Right. Does he go up to white babies and ask for E-Trade stock advice? <laughs> the Lucas brothers aren't just brothers. They are funny brothers. They're deserving of a Netflix special. And in fact, they're the kind of brothers that I want to interview. Also, they're twins. I think that's probably where I was going with not just brothers. Their new special up on Netflix is personal and funny and hysterical. It's about the war on drugs a little bit and how it affected them. Keith and Kenny Lucas, how are you guys? We're good, man. How you doing? Fantastic. All right. So just so everyone knows, we'll put a special filter on Keith's voice. <laughs> tell it's him. So I would guess that most, what, what do you think, what percentage of audiences that go to your show come away not being able to articulate which is Keith or which is Kenny? I would argue, I would argue 100%. Yeah. If you do your job yeah. right. Definitely, yeah. definitely 100%. Yeah. Well, we have to account for family when they come to shows. So. I don't think they know no. either. <laughs> so you give some advice about the kinds of drugs to do, and if you're a twin, like hallucinate hallucinogens are bad oh bad. yeah it's out of body if you see someone who looks like you you're like maybe i'm not in myself yeah, yeah. it's weird it's a weird yeah, thing yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right and you both had that experience yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> to watch him trip out is just <laughs> trippy yeah. as shit yeah <laughs> and another thing that i was thinking about your particular type of twindom i know you have a lot of uh, passions all over the board but would you consider yourselves to any extent to be nerds <laughs> oh i mean it, i mean it really depends on how you define nerd but if we're using the uh, traditional metric Absolutely. Does that mean like to, to obsess over a particular topic and, yes. and know yeah, a lot of information yeah, about sure. it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yes. I was playing with wrestling action figures up until like 18. So I think that qualifies. Me oh, as, yeah. As, I'm a nerd. You right? should never admit that. Oh, I don't uh, give a shit. I'm proud of my I'm proud of my action figure. <laughs> of your sadness. <laughs> but this is my supposition. That part of nerddom, you always hear that people talk about it saying, well, it marked me as different. Mm -hmm. And I was in and I guess that I was in this little niche culture. But when a large portion mm -hmm. of who you're reacting 
to is this other guy who also shares that passion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like nerds. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I think yeah. the internet has shown that we're all kind of nerds. Yeah, plus it's like, it's just my brother and I talking about the things that we love on stage. Yeah. And that comes off, I guess, as... Yeah, right, yeah, I yeah. see that. Yeah. But also, just in terms of pure nerddom, you could spin out, like, if one person is interested in a topic, you go deep and you mm-hmm. find out yeah. about it. But you two guys spinning off each other, it kind of is a snowball effect. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. exponentially nerd. That's right, that's right. <laughs> it's like an arms race. Uh-huh. You know, it's like <laughs> keep pumping one another. Yeah. Oh, you found that stat? <laughs> I got this fact. So, Keith, are there some portions of the nerd world that Kenny's into that you're not and vice versa i think that we share all similar interests i mean there was one point when i i was into rap a little bit more than yeah, you yeah, yeah. but i feel like that's but dissolved. i was always into rap but yeah, then yeah, there was yeah. a moment when i was into limp biscuit a little more than rap <laughs> yeah it's the dark ages of my music <laughs> yeah. taste but I for guess all of us <laughs> in a way admitting that now is the nerd that's right no, no, yeah, now i'm yeah, nerding yeah. up again corn and limp biscuit <laughs> Yeah, all the bands that sound like a bad side. Dish. <laughs> yeah. uh. I like the I like your I like your comedy a lot. Thank I like you. I also Thank like you, the man. comedy of the Sklar Brothers, who are uh, great. Uh, uh, twins. I find that one effect listening to them is they talk pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and since it's two of them, they're like the quickest guys going because yeah, yeah. they all they both sound the same, yeah. and it's like rat tat tat comedy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with you guys. You take your time, you pause, and this led me to the insight that if if we just isolated one of your mics, you probably talk, each of you talk less than any stand-up comedian <laughs> who's not a mime. By design, man. We're trying yeah. to do less work, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's our theory on comedy. It's like... <laughs> Uh, what's the word? Parsimony, man. Yeah. Being economical. <laughs> Saying less. Doing yeah. less. Yeah. Everyone wants to do more. Everyone wants to jump in, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is like, it hard to stop the other guy from jumping in? Well, like, just sit in the joke? Yeah. When we first started, we would always, like, step on each other's yeah. toes because mm-hmm. we were trying. We we're talking way too fast and we were like, all right, we got to kind of slow this down. So we figured out a technique where we can, like, both have a lot, of, a lot to say, but it can be done in a way that's, like, not more chaotic. Econ- yeah, more economical, more orderly. Yeah. Get me into that. How do you do it? When we first started... We would literally sit in front of a mirror mm-hmm. and rehearse the lines. Yeah. And we would try to go back and forth in a way just to get a rhythm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just try to master the rhythm first. Yeah. And once we mastered the rhythm just by going back and forth in front of a mirror, then that's when we brought it back to the stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we will write out like a transcript and we'll just do it like dialogue. So one person will read one line, then the next person will read the other line. And then it's just. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you really sticking to the script even more closely, not even minute variations? There are words? minute variations. Yeah. Yeah. We will change a word here and there or we'll sometimes the punchline will fall on him as opposed to me, yeah. which could disrupt the order. And sometimes we'll allow for just for straight improvisation. Yeah. And that could sometimes disrupt the order. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's, we stick to the script. Yeah. What about writing on stage, which is what a lot of comedians do? They say, you know, I don't even open, maybe I'll jot down a note, but essentially I get on stage and over the course of a show after show after show, now I have my act. Seems like it would be harder for you guys to do. Oh, that. we don't do that. Yeah, we write down pretty much word by word. It would be hard. Yeah, just it's impossible for, to yeah. just like, because it's going to be chaos. Yeah. yeah. We'll step yeah. on each other's. Yeah. And what about, sure. what about crowd work? I mean, you're not going to put we that in a special. Don't really, yeah, yeah, I mean, we don't really do a ton of it. I don't really, I don't know. I don't care much for crowd work. I think some people like it. Yes. But I like jokes. I want yeah, yeah, to present my jokes. Joke. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I agree. And I I also think, I think improv is uh, impressive. And mm-hmm. when I go to a specific improv show, that's what I want to see. And mm-hmm. yet at the same time, how about you get the portions of the improv that worked yeah. really well and tell me that. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Otherwise known as the successful funny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. Yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the idea of, well, first of all, tell the audience the war on drugs. So the idea, and it starts off the special with mm-hmm. uh, words on the screen about Nixon's war on drugs and mm-hmm. how it affected your family. Yeah. Why do you want to turn that into comedy? I think the best form of comedy comes from like tragedy and especially when it's tragedy, but personal, personal, personal tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Like I can't just talk about, I'm not going to go up there and talk about 9-11. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't yeah, even yeah. there, but, but the most honest form of comedy comes from personal tragedy. And I think if you can't, it's also part of the healing process, like right. Like you want to go back to those traumatic events and say, "I'm cool with it." And so the event was uh, arrests of your father, yeah. your uncles. How yeah, many yeah, uncles? Yeah. Uh, how many uncles? It was. Yeah. Uh, One, two, three. It must have been like four, four or five uncles. Four. Yeah. We had a couple cousins get arrested. I mean, yeah. We had people get killed. Our father got arrested. Yeah. yeah. We had guys who committed suicide because of just like they couldn't get a job after they got arrested. Yeah, so like yeah. it was, it completely wiped out a generation of black men. Like, For sure. Honestly, all the kids that we grew up with on our block. No one had a dad. Have, none of them had a dad. I thought it was a normal thing. For yeah. It, was, it felt normal to me. Like, oh, people don't grow up with that. I didn't see it as a, as a, a traumatic event. I just saw that, okay, people just don't have dads. And yeah. then I moved to North Carolina. Yeah. Or we moved to North Carolina. From Newark. Yeah. And from Newark, and everyone has a father. I'm like, oh, no, this is a traditional household. Mm. And then when you think about it in retrospect, you're like, holy shit, yeah, yeah. this war decimated a yeah, generation. Yeah, yeah. Did you have family in North Carolina? Is yeah. that why your mom yeah. moved there? <laughs> yeah, right. she was, so you yeah. Need, she needed the extended family. Mm-hmm. And it was lucky that you had a life raft in a way. For sure. An escape yeah. route. For, For sure. sure. And then how did, I mean, very few people, I'm sure of the people on your block, how many went to college, let alone law school? None. We were the only ones. Yeah. Why are you guys different? I have a choice. Went to North I, Carolina. No, I wouldn't even say it's different. I would say, yeah, just, you know, mom getting us up to North Carolina really, yeah. really helped us. I yeah. Mean, we stayed in North. I would be a drug dealer right For now. sure. No Maybe way. Maybe a we... successful drug dealer. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, behind the scenes, not the one on the streets. <laughs> be a, there's only so there's only so many things twins can do, you know what I mean? Like we couldn't become drug dealers. No, it'd no, be no. too weird. Right. Two dudes look the same. What about the cray the cray twins? Oh, the cray twins. Yeah, they were yeah. gangsters. They were. Yeah, we could have been gangsters. You guys should have been. We should have been, been gangsters. You have a great alibi. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen like six Law and Order episodes based on the twin. That it wasn't me. Down. It was my brother. <laughs> you just could never be in the same uh, on the same corner. No, at the that's same right. Time. Be, but, we, but, but you also can't be out of town. No, because mm. if they get you and they prove the other guy's out of town, yeah. you lose your alibi. See, this won't work out because we like spending a lot of time together. Yeah, so yeah. they got to separate us. Yeah. So it just right. I would not guess that it would be easy for both you guys to have a job at the same time, <laughs> but just one, it's unlimited days off, isn't I know. it? Yeah. One of you needs to get the job and That's not right. tell. That's right. Kenny can't tell the world. But the you don't get two key. paychecks. Yeah, well, one gets uh, unemployment or uh, some. That's a good point. Yeah, one could get like <laughs> subsidized <laughs> housing. Too bad idea. the comedy thing is working out Jeez. for you. That's such a great so idea. Many, we needed you. <laughs> we needed you, man. Six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I could plan. I could like perfectly plan out a lower class existence for you guys. <laughs> I could make you guys reach no one's dreams. <laughs> like a criminal mastermind with twins. <laughs> now, why? I know it was so. It was your era that uh, Nixon level war on drugs yeah. had the impact. Oh, Reagan too. Reagan yeah. too. Yeah. Right, but but then. The uh, I, I was just interviewing guys who did this great documentary, 100 to 1, The Crack Epidemic. Oh, yeah. We keep the war on drugs keeps happening. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to, yeah, if you wanted to point the finger at Bill Clinton, okay. that would be yeah. legit also. Absolutely. Or yeah. George H.W. Bush. Sure. Absolutely. There's very few presidents that have done anything yeah. they to per- They perpetuated the war, on, uh, the war on drugs. Each, each administration. Obama tried. Yeah. But most presidents have, or most administrations have, you know, 
continued it and put resources into it. Like once you start a war with an inanimate, inanimate object, like, mission creep, right? It's just yeah. going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. like the war on drugs, yeah. the war on terror. You can't yeah. have war on a tactic. You can't or have war. Thing. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. What's the next war though? Like, I feel like we're running out of things to declare war on. You know, if you want to, if you want to get black people, you gotta, you gotta declare war on. I don't know basketball. Enjoy, huh? <laughs> no, war and, everybody likes basketball. That's true. War and uh, rap. What? Everybody likes rap. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> not everybody likes rap. Not everybody doesn't like rap. You're Jeff right. Sessions does not like rap. That's fair. He, does he probably doesn't like basketball either. No, I'm sure he does. <laughs> Be honest. If Jeff Sessions did like rap, that would be disappointing, <laughs> wouldn't it? I would. I would I, stop listening. That to rap. would ruin rap for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> now, speak, speaking about the love of basketball, you have a joke in this special about advanced metrics in basketball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't watch the NBA anymore. No, no, no. We're no. done. No, advanced stats are ruining the game. Killing the game. I don't know if y'all know about advanced stats, but it's like this shit where they use like calculus and st- overanalyze. Overanalyzing the stats, man. It's too confusing and they're scary now. Yeah. Like we saw this one stat, and y'all may have seen this too. It said every time Steph Curry shoots 40% from the three point line, a black man gets killed by the police. Crazy. <laughs> y'all see that one? Terrifying. Terrified us. We got to stop Steph Curry, Somebody got to stop that nigga. <laughs> now, I looked up these statistics. It's correlation. not It's correlation. It's yeah. not attempts. Mm-hmm. It's maybe makes, but still, there were uh, 307 black people killed by police in 2015, and Steph actually made more threes than that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's more, it's actually more correlated to yeah. some other shooters. Maybe Clay. Yeah, Clay, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. Clay, yeah. It's more of a yeah. Clay Thompson. Yeah. But you got to yeah. get those tweets. So you got to say yeah. Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, People exactly. don't know the stats exactly. You can I'm, always obfuscate them a bit. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to ask you, and this is biography, on Wikipedia, and you have parallel Wikipedia entries, though mm-hmm. separate, mm-hmm. very similar, mm-hmm. <laughs> words here or there change. Yeah. They say you both, you were both, you were in different law schools. Yeah. Halfway through your third year, you each dropped out to do comedy. Mm-hmm. Not entirely accurate. It was... Two weeks before we were going to graduate. Yeah, before our finals. We're, okay. we're going to take the finals maybe two weeks, yeah. uh, and then we just like, we're done with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To yeah. use the sports analogy, <laughs> I would compare this to the Falcons not just running the ball into the line three times. I mean, the game is won. Yeah. The last semester of law school, the third year, that's the easy one. That depends on how you see the game. If the uh-huh. game is to be a lawyer, then I think you're right. But if the game is to live a fulfilled life, then I think you're not. Yeah, uh-huh. you got to value the time that you're Yeah, given. like if you walk into a movie and the movie sucks, you already pay for the ticket. Do you stay and watch the movie or do you leave? If it's uh, a whodunit and I'm right before <laughs> the reveal. But if it's not a whodunit and you <laughs> yeah. sort of know that the, yeah. what the outcome is going to be, yeah. you're not going to use your law degree. Yeah. You don't yeah. care about law school. and You, you really want to just start comedy. I know. But Duke Law School, NYU uh, Law School. Yeah, I, I think the story's better if you drop out. Yeah, it's definitely it is, better. The story's better. <laughs> the story's better now that you're successful. Comedians. Absolutely. The unsuccessful version of this Rough. is just better still. Yeah. Well, it's still better, though. We still have the third act to play in this story. So. But by dropping out, like the opportunity you got that week, what was it? It was it was a, a huge shot that you couldn't back down. I ser- seriously, the I didn't want to take finals. There you go. I was playing uh, Assassin's Creed, and I was on the <laughs> second to last. Uh-huh. And it was like, go to take exams or like complete this Assassin's Creed. Yeah. And I just committed yeah. to. Assassin's I just looked at the future and like, I didn't study for any of these classes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like it's just going to be like either I'm going to fail all these exams or I'm just going to walk away into the sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> either way, whatever. Either way. As the sun sets. As the sun set. That's what I meant. Not yeah. the sunlight. Keith and Kenny Lucas. They are the Lucas brothers. They're Netflix special is Lucas Brothers on drugs. Thank you, guys. Thank you, man. Thank you. you. This was great.
And now the spiel. Reuters asked the president, Trump, if Kim Jong-un was rational. Apparently, a psychologist is not supposed to diagnose others through the media. That's the so-called Goldwater rule. But apparently, there is no Goldwater rule for sitting presidents. Goldwater lost. I won. No rule, Trump said. On to the rationality question, here's what Trump said. As to whether or not he's rational, I have no opinion on it. I hope he's rational. I do know he's kind of a dick. Okay, I made the last part up. Oh yeah, that, by the way, that whole thing, that wasn't Trump. That was me. I think I maybe need to disclose that. That wasn't actually Trump. That was me. I was quoting Trump, but it was me. So this idea of the North Korean leader's rationality, it came up on Morning Joe, where former Congressman Harold Ford echoed, as one does on Morning Joe, the conventional wisdom on the subject. Uh, the thing that worries me most, this guy is irrational. And I guess he's Ooh, probably been... Trump uh, or... The- <laughs> Which one on is irrational. And for the president to take the position that he's not rational or is rational, it, I think to Caddy, what Caddy's saying, it's, it's, we almost have to get used to the way he yeah. talks. Mm-hmm. And you can't invest totally in thinking that mm-hmm. he's on the up and up when he talks. No, wrong, incorrect. It is good that Trump does not say whether Kim Jong-un is rational or isn't. I would very much prefer if Trump thought that he was rational. Two reasons. One, he is rational. Two, Kim Jong-un's rationality and the president's belief in his rationality is what's keeping us out of war. Kim Jong-un does shoot his uncles with machine guns from time to time. He poisons his half-brother via massage parlor employees in the Kuala Lumpur airport. In short, he's short. He has a goofy haircut and he likes Dennis Rodman. But pursuing nuclear weapons for him is good strategy. Without them, he would be dead or deposed by now, maybe a little of both. And it's rational for him to, from time to time, to pop off about dangerous threats about his willingness to use his weapons. What his counterparts, presidents of the United States, have always done and need to do is to show seriousness and stability. And this is where Trump's habit of playing the madman and pretending that he's playing the madman, that's really dangerous. Unpredictability can be good if it's strategic, but when it's spasmodic, it hurts the unpredictable party more than his adversaries. In truth, I think Trump's stated aim that he's the unpredictable guy, that's just a cover for how much he gets wrong. It's a blanket statement that he might believe, that his base might believe, but what it really does is covers up for every dumbass thing that he says about the world's hotspots, because he's really very ignorant. And there's so much that he doesn't know that it really is scary. For instance, when he calls Kim Jong-un a madman. We've been doing this for a while. We called Saddam a madman, the Ayatollah a madman. Here is Reagan calling Gaddafi a madman. Actually, not even a man. Listen. But we know that this mad dog of the Middle East has a a goal of a world revolution, Muslim fundamentalist revolution, which is targeted on many of his own uh, Arab compatriots. What are the chances we keep getting into these tangles with madmen? Then years afterwards, after these hot wars turn cool or simmer down, you'll hear learned people in the foreign policy community admitting, well, at least we knew the Ayatollah was rational, or Saddam clearly wanted to survive, or Gaddafi was at least open to reason. It's the same with Kim's father and his grandfather. We called them madmen. They weren't. 
They were just self-preservationist strongmen like their descendant is today. I really hope Trump knows this. I also hope Kim Jong-un knows that Trump knows this. If Trump does too good a job convincing Kim of his, of Trump's unpredictability, then Kim might not be able to count on the president and the United States doing what the United States has always done, which is to talk sternly, but not use force. So Kim might say to himself, wow, this guy's nuts. He might use force on me. And guess what Kim might do? He might use force first. We keep saying North Korean policy isn't working. Trump underlined this in his Reuters interview about how badly it's not working. There's a chance that we could end up having a major, major conflict with North Korea. Absolutely. But is the U.S.'s North Korea policy totally not working? And it's not going great. But how many missiles has North Korea launched at Seoul or Tokyo or anywhere else since the war there ended? There is a beacon of hope in all this. It is the human drone strike Rex Tillerson. He spoke before the United Nations Security Council today, and what he said, and how he said it, was pleasingly familiar to many an international ear. I looked across the DMZ at the haunted land of North Korea. Beyond the border is a nation of sorrow, frozen in time. Tillerson drawled out a familiarly stern rebuke to the North Koreans. Diplomatic and financial levers of power will be backed up by a willingness to counteract North Korean aggression with military action, if necessary. We must be willing to face the hard truths and make hard choices right now to prevent disastrous outcomes in the future. Perhaps the North Koreans quaked in their shoes, outfitted with three-inch lifts. More likely, they said, ah, that is the talk we are used to, which is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It's normalizing. It's a cliche. And speaking of cliches, I realize how much this goes on at the United Nations. Even the Chinese foreign minister weighed in. The Chinese word for crisis contains two characters, which respectively means danger and opportunity. What? All the linguists have been telling me that that was bullshit. That's frog leaping out of the boiling water anecdote level bullshit. That is Eskimos having 40 words for snow bullshit. That is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and experiencing a different result bullshit. And cue the South Korean ambassador. A pundit once said, quote, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, unquote. And with that pronouncement, my DEFCON level actually decreased. Ah, the bland blandishments of international negotiation. Kim Jong-un, I hope you are listening. You are officially on notice. The U.S. is not going to lead the world to any place unfamiliar. And that is a development we can all live with. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson did not disclose her childhood nickname, which was Justice Warren Berger. Just producer Chris Berube once went 60 and a 55, but that was on a form to get into a retirement community. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, is not irrational, but is irascible. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, once rebroadcast a telecast of Major League Baseball without express written consent, he was merely emailed a thumbs up from umpire Hunter Wendelstadt. The gist with this suggestion for any militia or oppressive government 
that really wants to prevent its citizens from leaving the country. You give them nicknames like this. You call them undisclosed. That's your nickname. Your nickname's undisclosed. Or your nickname's refused to answer. Or your nickname's plead the fifth. It's playing the long game, but when it comes time to fill out the forms, they are screwed. And I would not put this tactic past Boko Haram. They are monsters. Umpuru depuru dupuru, and thanks for listening.